Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Leviathan Chronicles Season 2 The story thus far. McCall and Orson and her strike force are heading back to Leviathan after their infiltration of the Iron Gate station ended in tragedy. With her team weary and injured, and Gregor Raginsky in critical condition, McCallan's leadership is now in question. McCallan realizes that the possibility that Leviathan will be destroyed is becoming very real. High above McCallan, Jeffrey Tully is on his way to New York City to find Nankatsu CEO Kasunori Tanaka's son, Toshi. He knows that Jason Sterling has kidnapped Toshi and is using the boy to blackmail Tanaka. He hopes if he can find the boy and bring him back to Japan, Tanaka will free Tully's best friend, Oberlin Sinclair, who the gangster is keeping prisoner. And after a rendezvous in an abandoned transit terminal deep within the bowels of the New York City subway system, Senshin and Whit Roberts were led to the station, a secret underground safe house used by Black Door Number 12. Jason Sterling has apprehended Rebecca Kinderman, someone that Senshin has said will be vital in the task of locating the missing Saraxian aliens, and brought her to the station, along with Toshi Tanaka. There, Senshin placed a pair of strange hypnotic goggles on Rebecca, sending her into a violent trance, causing her to convulse in trauma. When she was revived, Senshin informed her that she had been undercover for 15 years. And now, Chapter 36, An Unexpected Window. Deep under the asphalt and sidewalks of downtown New York City, in the hidden bowels of the nation's largest transit system, Senshin knelt beside Rebecca Von Alt, formerly known as Rebecca Kinderman, as she slowly regained consciousness after being in a 15-year hypnotic state. Oh, my stomach. Breathe. Just focus on your breathing. I'm trying. Easy now. Here, let me help you up. Have some water, please. Jason Sterling and Whit Roberts stared impatiently, while Toshi Tanaka quickly exited the side room and returned with two water bottles, handing them both to Senshin. Thank you. Senshin, it's really you, Senshin. I can feel you. Of course you can. It's me. Here, take a sip of this. Oh, my head feels like a bomb went off inside it. I can imagine. This was a long immersion, Rebecca. The Edeners had picked up their hunting activity, and I was worried that they'd picked up your scent. You know how valuable you are. Please don't remind me. I can remember a little bit now. Where are we, Senshin? We're underground. What city? New York. Still? Old habits, my dear. Rebecca looked forward and stared at the other people in the room, that included a small boy, an average-sized man dressed in khakis, missing an ear, and a much larger, muscular, shirtless man with blood-red skin and black cargo pants that resembled a demon more than a human being. Who are those men? It's a bit of a long story, but I promise I'll fill you in. Try to sit up now, Rebecca. 
Please explain to me who exactly this woman is and why she is instrumental to activating your device to find the heir. She is the device, Jason. Her real name is Rebecca Van Alt. She is a tracker, the most powerful that would be made immortal. And what does a tracker do? Certain human beings are born with various degrees of sensitivity to psychic energy. It's rare, especially so in Caucasians. Some are empathic. Some can develop a talent to commune with the psychic energy of those around them through meditation, like the Tibetan monks that used to reside in Mount Shenglong. Transformation to immortality tends to exaggerate certain traits within an individual. In Rebecca's case, the transformation was even more pronounced. Rebecca can locate and even identify an immortal at a great distance. It makes her a very valuable asset of the rebellion. Or to anyone looking for a mortal. Is there anything to eat, Sension? I'd feel better if I could have something in my stomach. Without being asked, Whit Roberts exited the side room and returned with an MRE and handed it to Rebecca. She immediately peeled off the cellophane wrapper, revealing a packet of brown beef stew and some plastic utensils. She started devouring the meal hungrily, but stopped eating halfway through to stare at the discarded wrapper lying on the floor. She picked it up and read the words written on it. Black door, emergency ration MRE? Sension. What the hell is this? Who are these people? Are they... they can't be Black Door! It is, Rebecca. You must be joking! Black Door? How can we even be in the same room with them? They want to eradicate our people, Sension! There's more to it than that. Right now, we've established a truce. We both need each other right now, and you're an important part of that truce. They made you awaken me. No, they didn't. But I do need your help, Rebecca, for a very different kind of search than you're used to. Sension explained to Rebecca the events that had unfolded over the past several weeks, and the revelation that Evangeline had been keeping the Seraxian aliens prisoner in Leviathan City for the past 1,000 years. And right now, Rebecca, we believe there is somewhere on this planet lost. We don't know where. All we do know is that they entered a keyhole shortly before its terminal pair was destroyed. They could be anywhere. And I need you to help me find them. I need you to try to stretch out and see if there's anything you can sense nearby. Any traces of starstone residue. Right now, I can't sense anything. My head is still fried from the hypnosis. I can barely register you, and you're standing right in front of me. You're probably just exhausted, and we're probably too far underground. We had the same problem in Moscow. I feel weak. I need some coffee, or, or maybe this some- This isn't a goddamn Starbucks. We're running out of time. <laughs> Ascension exploded and shoved Wit up against the far wall, holding him up by his jacket. This is the only way to find the aliens, you insufferable piece of shit. If you want to force it, you're going to end up with nothing. Ascension, I'd put him down if I were you. Ascension turned around, allowing Wit to drop to the floor. <coughs> Jason Sterling stood behind Rebecca Von Out, holding a nine-inch ebonized hunting knife against her throat. You don't touch members of my team ever again, and I won't give you a warning next time. I'll just kill whoever you're closest to, or whoever's closest to me. You step away from wit now, and apologize for being so rash in your behavior. Sension glared at the red-skinned man. Apologize. I'm sorry, wit. I don't know what came over me. Don't mention it. Sension walked back over to Rebecca. Now that we're all feeling a bit more reasonable, I'd like to have a moment alone with Rebecca. May I ask that you all retire to the main room? I just need a second alone with her. Jason and Wit stared at each other suspiciously. All right, make it a quick moment and then come join us in the main hall. I'll make some coffee for all of us. And when you sit down, I'll expect you to enlighten us with some insight as to the location of our Seraxian friends. So I'd advise you to use this time alone to do 
Whatever it is you mutants do. Senshin barely fought the urge to lash out at Sterling's hypocrisy, but allowed him to leave the room along with Wit and Toshi. He knelt down beside Rebecca. Are you okay? By the goddess, what have you done, Senshin? Try to ensure the survival of our rebellion. But more importantly, are you okay? To that perverted bastard. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm still woozy, but fine. You've made some nice friends while I've been gone. Tell me about it. Listen to me, Rebecca. We've got a chance to correct everything now. We can save the entire rebellion. If we can just get to the aliens first, if we can help them escape Earth, then maybe they'll give us the power we've been hoping for. They could give us the Starstone power. We could preserve the immortality of our rebellion. We just need to find the Seraxians and use the aliens to rid ourselves of Black Door forever. I don't even know what I'm looking for, Ascension. Something you haven't seen before. Something that's like us, maybe familiar, but not. I'll, I'll try, Ascension. But right now, I can't even- Just try, Rebecca. Rebecca closed her eyes and placed her hands upon the arms of the chair upon which she sat. Her head dropped slightly and began to sway from side to side. Her breathing grew deeper and slower, and her long fingers instinctively extended and retracted. Search, Rebecca. Senshin could feel a slight pressure in his head that quickly passed as he noticed Rebecca's eyelids fluttering rapidly. She was deep in her trance now, and could feel the immediate world around her slipping away. There was just darkness now, above and below her, and she envisioned herself floating in a realm of space without dimension. In the darkness, specks of light reached out to her, tiny points of illumination, small, blue and round. Some shone more brightly than others, but like flowers of the same genus, they all pulsed and felt the same. She searched further into the darkness, finding more light, but quickly losing her place and any sense of reference. Everything looked the same, and one location seemed identical to any other. But then, something different caught her attention. It wasn't a point of light, but rather a sharp glow. Two glows, far off in the distance, too far and vague for Rebecca to gain any sense of up and down or left and right. But the glows seemed to orbit one another, tightly pulsing and feeding off each other. Rebecca reached out to them, stretching her feelings and consciousness. But as she extended her consciousness further, she could feel the darkness breaking. Like shattered glass, cracks of light streamed into her private, intimate universe, and the yellow light of day quickly drowned the shimmering points of blue, and all but eradicated the mysterious distant glow that she was chasing. Soon, all she could see was the pollution of the yellow light, and in the middle of it all stood a single figure that reached out and gently took her hand. Anything, Rebecca? Anything? Uh, I, I don't know. Extension. I'm... it was confusing. I'm not sure what I saw. The door to the side chamber suddenly burst open, and Jason Sterling strode into the room, still shirtless and with a menacing look on his face. Whit Roberts followed closely behind, carrying two cups of steaming hot coffee. We waited for you in the other room, and then I realized, what kind of host would I be if I didn't bring you any refreshments? We heard something. What did you find, Rebecca? She's not sure. Don't! Lie to me. We're not lying. Rebecca just isn't sure what she saw. Let her talk. Look, I, I searched pretty far. I saw some immortals locally, and then small concentrations of immortals elsewhere, but there was something else. Something different. Out of focus. Two things, actually. Elgar and Karan. You saw something. That means they're still alive. I, I think so, maybe, but I can't tell where. The signal is so different, I can't triangulate a location. It's too faint. Wherever they are, they're not nearby. They're not in the New York area. 
They're much, much farther away. I... I can't locate them yet. You need to try again. No. Ascension. We need to she find... She needs to get some rest. Right now, we have some confirmation that the aliens are alive. In case you didn't realize, that's good news. But now you need to let Rebecca rest. The searching is very taxing on her nervous system. You wouldn't want to lose your only light in the dark, would you? <sighs> There's a bunk room through the next room on the right. Blankets are in the drawers. Rebecca rose from her chair and quietly walked past Senshin and Wit to leave the room. Toshi followed quickly behind her. You are testing my patience, Senshin. Your tracker isn't helping us. We need to find the Seraxians. We need to know exactly where the aliens are. And if you can't do that... She can find the aliens. She can. But right now, we've exhausted her. And we need to let her rest. This is a safe house, right? We might have time, but the Seraxians might not. I'm sorry, but you need to let her rest. That's just the way it works. We've done this before. You haven't. Well, at least she'll be stronger when she wakes up, because... If she can't find them using her own power, then I've got some other ideas. We may just have to boost her signal a little bit. I don't follow. Let me ask you a question about your safe house. Rebecca's going to be asleep for a few hours. Do you guys get any movies down here? We do. Why? Well, let's get some popcorn going. Maybe with a little olive oil and sea salt. I'm thinking that tonight we should just stay in, sit on the sofa together, watch a movie. Have any of you ever seen The Thomas Crown Affair? Sentence. New York's John F. Kennedy Airport. Please make sure your seat backs and tray tables are in their full upright position. Make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened and all carry-on luggage is stowed underneath the seat in front of you or in the overhead bins. Please turn off all electronic devices until we are safely parked at the gate. Thank you. Flight attendants, prepare for arrival and cross-check. Tully slowly stirred awake from his fitful sleep. Though his luxurious all-nippon business class seat offered every imaginable comfort, the bruises of his body made every position awkward and painful. His mind couldn't let go of the thought of Oberlin, who was still hostage in Okinawa, counting on him for his survival. Excuse me, Mr. Tully, could you please bring your seat back all the way up? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, just Tully's fine. Taxi! Where to, my friend? Um... Come on, come on, come on! Where you wanna go? Just... Uh, just, just take me to Manhattan. You, uh, wanna tell me where? It's kinda a big island. I don't know. I, I don't know. Just take me to the middle. The middle? What the fuck? You wanna go to Times Square? Yeah! Just, just take me to Times Square. You got it, man. Times Square. The yellow taxi cab wound its way onto the Van Wyck Expressway, continuing towards the Midtown Tunnel. As the cab drew closer to Manhattan, Tully was afforded a full view of the Manhattan skyline. Man, there it is. The Empire State Building. The UN. All those buildings. Jeez, it's big, man. All those people. Where the fuck are you hiding, Rick Roberts? Where the hell is Toshi? The taxi passed through the Midtown Tunnel before it ground to a halt in standstill traffic. The cab sluggishly crawled through the side street gridlock. A garbage truck moved slowly on 45th Street, stopping to pick up trash cans and refuse, bringing all cars behind it to a stop. The resultant honking of horns and angry shouting served as a constant reminder to Tully. Come on. We don't have much time. Oberlin doesn't have much time. After an agonizing 55 minutes, Tully's cab finally pulled up under a bevy of illuminated signs for Phantom of the Opera, Wicked and the Lion King. He paid the driver his fare. Here. 
people and walked out into the middle of Times Square. Meandering tourists mingled with vendors, loudly hawking t-shirts, theater tickets, and tour bus rides. Midtown traffic continued to snarl around Tully as he looked up to the jumbotron and saw a giant image of Donald Trump and a clip from the latest episode of The Apprentice. The nearest traffic light changed green, and Tully instantly found himself in the middle of a massive crowd of people surrounding him, pushing and bumping into him while others swerved around him. The light soon switched back to red, and the swarm of people that encompassed him suddenly dispersed. Tully looked down and saw someone had spilled coffee on his shoes. Great. Welcome to New York. What do I do now? In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Two hundred miles south of Oahu, and at a depth of 12,000 feet, the Leviathan Strike Force Zephyr continued on its western heading towards the Marianas Trench. The interior of the craft was quiet, and the atmosphere seethed with both the tension of animosity and the heavy regret of defeat. McAllen also was supposed to be returning to Leviathan with a starstone in hand, or at least some idea where on earth the Seraxian aliens might be. Instead, they were returning empty-handed to a crumbling city in a vessel with a crew that had now turned against McAllen and one member of her strike force hovering near death. Anton sat at the pilot station, wearily plotting the next underwater trajectory. Military Underchief Keith Watson approached from behind him. We need some rest. I'll cover your station for the next few hours. I'm all right. You're fine for now in the abyssal plane, but piloting the Seagate network takes precision. You're a damn good pilot, but you've been on for eight hours. We need you fresh. So go to the aft and get some rest. Thank you. The truth was that Anton was indeed tired, too tired to argue with the Underchief. 
He rose from the pilot's chair and walked back to the rear of the Zephyr, passing Robertson, who was asleep on a bunk, not far from Gregor Roginsky, who lay motionless on the medical sled attached by wires and sensor pads that monitored his grim condition. Anton took a quick look at the data pad beside him, before walking to the back to sit next to McCallum. How is he? No change. He's still unconscious with a weak pulse. Oh, I'm... I'm so sorry, Anton. Now stop that. Sorry for what? I'm sorry that this... this entire mission was my idea, and when we go back to Leviathan, you'll be treated like a criminal. Arrested! And, and after this failure, nobody's going to listen to me when I try to protect you. I have made a terrible situation so much worse. I'm quite flattered, McAllen, but I don't need you to protect me. I'm ready to face whatever consequences await me in Leviathan. I'm far more concerned about you. Protecting you is always my mission, after all. Besides, I'm hoping that the Leviathan Council will realize that it is more pressing matters than my persecution to concern itself with. You know, like maintaining the pressure shield or preparing for an orderly evacuation. McCallum fell silent for a moment. You still think we'll need to evacuate the city? I don't know, but we have to prepare for it. That's why I let you down. I've cost you your home, Anton. You believed in me and my plan, and now... Now we've wasted the little time we had left on a foolish mission. Now you listen to me. You didn't cost me or anybody else in this vessel their home. You didn't plant the virus within Leviathan's AI, and you weren't the one that betrayed Evangeline. You have done nothing to cause this tragedy, and have only tried to be of aid to the community. You did what any good leader should do. You took a side. You pointed in a direction and led. You made a plan while the Leviathan Council was content to bicker over civil control while the city crumbled around them. You pushed forward. Sadly, this mission has failed. But you're immortal, so am I, and I don't believe in spending the rest of eternity languishing over every mistake or failed attempt. And if that's how you want to spend your next thousand years on this earth, then you're no good to anyone, especially yourself. Anton extended his hand with his palm open, and McCallum placed her hand within his. He squeezed her hand gently, and for the first time, McCallum felt the tiniest bit of heat return to her face. If... If we have to evacuate, where would you go? I guess it depends what happens. If there's an effort to build a new immortal city, then I'd like to be part of the effort, if they'll let me. I'm not proud of every element of my past, and the rebellion that I was a part of tore apart a place that I called home for centuries. If I get the chance, I'd like to help build something new. But what if they don't? What if Evangeline dies and we never find the aliens? What if there are no more Starstones and we just have to... Live out our mortal lives. Then I reckon I'll just spend my remaining days quietly at my lake house. Watch the sunset. Anton, you never told me you had a lake house. You never asked. It's just a small place in Patagonia, but the view is something to behold. There's a nice porch and I can get fresh water from the stream that runs behind the house. Not much for amenities other than a, a stone fireplace, some leather chairs, and a reasonable wine cellar for... It's a rather special place for me. And you'd just go and spend your final years alone there? I never said anything about being alone. Anton let his other hand drift towards McAllen's neck. She closed her eyes and allowed the side of her face to rub against his warm hand when... The interior of the Zephyr exploded with the sudden scream of Gregor Roginsky, who bolted up from his supine position, ripping off the wires and sensor pads that connected him to the medical bay. Gregor! Robertson threw himself off his bunk and was beside Gregor in a flash. Watson slammed the Zephyr into autopilot and sprinted back to the med sled, dropping to her knees to reconnect the medical apparatus to his body. Easy, Gregor, easy. I've got you. I saw her. I saw her. Ah, my head! 
but I, I saw her clear as day. Calm down, Baginski. You're delirious. You're back on the Zephyr. We're heading back to Leviathan. What are his stats? BP is 150 over 90. My head. Ah, it hurts. Ah. Gregor, come on, mate. You've got to lie down. You took quite a shot back in Iron Gate. Neural scan is erratic. Heightened activity in the right temple low. Gregor. No, no, shut up. I'm telling you. I saw her. She's awake. I'm telling you she's awake. I can feel. Ah. Who, Gregor? Tell me who you saw. It was her. The Countess, Rebecca von Alt. You can't be serious. It makes sense. I don't understand. Who's the Countess? One of the most valuable assets in our rebellion. Keitha Watson's dead daggers at Anton. The Countess is the code name for an immortal woman named Rebecca van Alt. She's about 550 years old and is the most powerful tracker we've ever discovered. She was part of the rebellion 70 years ago. She has an uncanny ability to detect the presence of other immortals, even at tremendous distances. When we left Leviathan for the surface, we knew that we would be surrounded by enemies looking to take revenge upon us. Rebecca was able to keep us abreast of most of the Darkwater assassins that Evangeline sent to neutralize members of our rebellion. But this ability also made her an extremely valuable target for the Edeners. It's true. We knew as long as the Countess was alive, the rebellion would always be one step ahead of us. We were afraid they would use her to expose the Darkwater agents we had implanted in the US and European government. We would never have done that. She was only utilized as a defense against your assassins. You were the ones assembling kill teams. Apprehension teams, Anton. Our orders were to find her and bring her back to Leviathan. Like hell. Are you calling me a liar, boy? Guys, cool it. Do you seriously want to start a fight in a pressurized box 10,000 feet underwater? So what happened to the Countess? To, to Rebecca von Alt? We had to hide her. In what city? Not a city. A person. We had to hide her within another person. I don't understand. The Edeners in Leviathan had trackers as well. Not as powerful as Rebecca, but formidable nonetheless. We couldn't risk her apprehension. If Evangeline or the Darkwater Force were able to capture her, they might have been able to use her to find every member of the Rebellion hidden on the surface. So we had to brainwash her chemically and insert a new personality, a new identity for her to adopt that repressed all of her immortal luminosity, effectively cloaking her mind from all of the trackers. We made her believe that she was mortal. We were never able to find her. We had glimpses of her now and then. Every several years we had to reawaken her as the dampening effects of the neuroserum wore off. We would give her a new identity and reinsert her into a mortal life undercover. I could sense whenever she would reawaken, her mind so strong, so powerful. It was like an alarm bell going off next to my ears. I would have a headache for days. I could feel her and then, then nothing. She would disappear again. But this time. I could see through her eyes. Are you sure it was her? It was the Countess. No other immortal can produce a signal like that. She, she brought me awake. Where, Gregor? Where is she? Tell me what you saw. I'm trying. It's... It's hard. <coughs> My head. Oh. Leave him be, McCallan. He's in no condition to... She, she was holding something. Something in her hand. Something... Painful. What was it? It's hard to hold the image. It's slipping. Try, Gregor. What was she holding? A weapon? No, no. I think it, it was it was a piece of paper. A wrapper. What did the paper say? It said, Black Door. The entire Zephyr fell silent for a moment before Robertson spoke. Black Door. You're sure it was Black Door? It was one of the words she read. It doesn't prove she was actually with Black Door. She could have found a piece of evidence or be reading a report. Nonetheless. Countess has abilities that would be catastrophic for all immortals if she fell into the wrong hands. But there's one thing I don't understand. 
Only Sension would have the ability to reawaken Rebecca. It takes a special device to create the state of hypnosis to neutralize the neuroserum. Maybe he's working with Black Door now too. That's insane. We need to get back to Leviathan and report this. Back to Leviathan? Don't you see? Gregor found Black Door! So what? He can't tell us where on earth she was when she was awoken, even if she was with Black Door. What else did you see, Gregor? Anything, anything at all? Let him rest, McCallum. Uh, I saw a train, a, a, a metro. It, it had a number on it. What was the number? Six. Six was the number. What else? McCallum. What else did you see, Gregor? It's hard to... Uh, there was a, a sign. Letters. What did it say? It said, I think it said, uh, City Hall. Yes, it said City Hall. City Hall. The sixth train. That's, that's, that's New York. That's where Black Door is right now. They're in New York. That could be where the aliens are. They're, they're activating the Countess for a reason. We have to turn around and head towards the U.S. We have got to get to New York right away. Like bloody hell. We're not wasting any more time on this. This ship is headed for Leviathan. No. No, it isn't. What? What do you mean, no? We are not going back to Leviathan without either the aliens or a Starstone. We know where Black Door is now. We are in the same position as if we had found the location of the safe house with an iron gate. She's, she's right about New York, Hunter Chief. I recognize the subway. It doesn't matter. Leviathan is collapsing, and I'm not taking this strike force and another fucking goose chase that this incompetent bitch conjures up. I'll say this once, Watson. This isn't your strike force. It never was. And you have a personal problem. Robert Put her in custody now. Robertson now stood but seemed unsure. We can save our city. We can save Evangeline. But if you take this ship back now, you'll be condemning everyone in our city to die because without Evangeline to rejuvenate you, it'll just be a matter of decades before you perish, Watson, just like everyone else. That's not true. I'll always have you, McAllen. Isn't that what you told the Council? That by being Evangeline's genetic clone, you could commune with the Starstone and save us all? McAllen took a step closer to Under Chief Watson. If I were you, I would not be betting my life on my desire to preserve yours. The interior of the Zephyr fell silent. Robertson, what's Darkwater's closest base of operation to our current location? We have Darkwater Agent Station in Oahu. At full speed, we could get there in a few hours and arrange one of our supersonic jets to have us in New York by daybreak. There's just one problem. And what is that? You recalled everyone back to Leviathan. It was your idea to bring all the Leviathan citizens back to our underwater city so that they could all sit inside a time bomb waiting for it to implode. Due to your decisions, our resources on the surface are now severely compromised. Mine aren't. All heads turned to Anton. The Rebellion has resources as well. I know an immortal, a rebel, in Lanai that can help us arrange transport to New York City. We have the funds and the technology to help, so I say we should listen to McAllen. No! No, this is treason! McAllen, he works for the Rebellion! Your judgement in people has failed you in the past! Do not trust Anton! If we go to Hawaii, they'll capture you and kill the rest of us. They only want to control you. If you trust Anton, it would lead to the destruction of Leviathan. McAllen turned her head to stare at Anton. Anton has my trust. My orders are to head to Hawaii and find transport to New York. Gregor, do you agree that something important is happening now in Manhattan? I... yes. I, I mean, I, I've sensed the Countess before. I, I know it's her. It looked like the New York subway system. She must be there. Robertson, do I have you? Robertson looked at his military underchief, who could clearly see the conflict on the man's face. You're not a quitter, Henry. Please. We set out on a mission, and I don't like coming home empty-handed. And if the Rebellion does try anything with McCallum, I think I should be there to stop it, for the sake of Leviathan. That leaves just you, Under Chief. 
Your stated orders were to assist me in this strike force, and unless you want to tell me that you are carrying some unstated orders, I know I'll need your help when we get to New York. Please, Keitha. Keitha Watson stared at each member of the strike force, and then looked hard at McAllen. My orders stand, and I will assist if requested. And if you want to lead us on an ill-advised hunt to New York while our city collapses, then I will follow your orders, Councilwoman. But let me go on the record saying that I think that this is a fatal mistake, and one I think will be costly to our citizens that you claim to care so much about. Your objection is noted, Underchief. Anton, take the helm and turn the ship around and set course for Hawaii. Robertson, Reginsky, and Watson, let's start formulating our game plan for when we land in New York. Let's make sure Black Door will never know what hit them. You have been listening to The Leviathan Chronicles. The Leviathan Chronicles was written and created by Christoph Lepupka, produced by Robin Shaw, produced and musical composition by Luke Allen, directed by Nobi Nakanishi. For a full list of cast and crew, or to purchase the ad-free director's cut, go to leviathanchronicles.com. Thank you for supporting us, and thank you for listening. To discover more podcasts set in the Leviathan universe, go to leviathanaudioproductions.com, or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Leviathan Audio Production. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.